Music. Entertainment. Forces Life. The Forces Station. This is Team Talk. Hello and welcome to Team Talk. I'm Charlie. And I'm Jill. And whether you're in the midst of a lockdown or roaming free for the next 30 minutes, you're in good company. We've got lots lined up for you today, from feel-good stories, inspiring people and special guests. It's a big celebration of our wonderful Forces community who continue to go above and beyond against the odds. We've got exclusive interviews with Forces sweetheart Catherine Jenkins and Invictus athletes, plus all the usual help and advice. Separated like many of you, I'm coming to you from the Falkland Islands, whilst Jill is beaming in from the UK. Wherever you are in the world and whoever you might be missing, stay tuned for your weekly pick-me-up and a virtual hug from the Team Talk gang. As usual, let's kick things off by diving a little deeper into an untold story from the last few months. The wonderful Amy Casey has been learning more about Operation Rescript. BFBS. Team Talk. This is my station. This is the Forces Station. At the height of the coronavirus pandemic in the UK, Armed Forces personnel played a key role in the country's response to tackling COVID-19. 4,000 British personnel deployed each day to assist with the coronavirus response and, of course, supporting the NHS in any way possible. For Army Sergeant Wayne Delahunty, his normal working day revolved around tanks and heavy artillery. However, he found himself working with the ambulance service in Wales and even delivering a baby. Currently, I'm a platoon sergeant in anti-tanks, so dealing with tanks on the battlefield to working on an ambulance is a mass difference, really. We were sort of performing up to four shifts a week, which were 12-hour shifts, 48 hours a week, where we'd hopefully have sort of four on, four off. Whatever the paramedics needed, we just jumped straight in. All of us done quite a lot of resuscitations, so you're attending people that are in cardiac arrest or people that have had heart attacks. The one that, that springs out is the delivery of the baby that I did. We attended a woman who was slightly overdue. She had the birth of a little girl at home. I mean, have you ever been faced with anything like that before? Are you a dad? Yeah, so I've got a little boy who's eight. That's the only birth I've seen apart from, you know, watching it on TV. But it was a little bit different. It was just something that I just stepped up and jumped straight into. You get there, the lady is in labour. She's obviously very close to giving birth. What happens? The woman, she hadn't quite made it out of her house. She was sort of in a hallway, stuck between her stairs and her kitchen. She was on the floor and the baby was definitely on its way out. I set the, the gas and the Ensinox up to give her a bit of pain relief and then just gave the woman some reassurance that she was doing well. How did you feel at that moment when you knew that everything was going to be OK? The midwife sort of turned up about 10 minutes into it and then the baby arrived shortly after and another paramedic crew had arrived as well. So a lot of like patting on the back and um, just smiles everywhere. And the mother was definitely relieved for the baby to be born because she was clearly probably in quite a lot of pain. If you join the military, sometimes you don't just do day-to-day soldiering. You get the opportunity to do things like this. I think the NHS are a very underrated service. And then even from my point of view as a service personnel, I massively take my, my hat off to them. There's a lot of respect and praise that needs to be due to them. Hundreds of reservists were mobilised to support during COVID-19. RAF Reserve Officer Glenn Hymers explained how he and his NHS wife were balancing a very difficult work life. It's immense. It's one of the reasons why you become a reservist. It's one of the reasons why most people join the military, is to serve the country. 
And to be able to do that now in this time where it's unprecedented, no one knows what, exactly what's happening and how are we going to deal with it and what the world's going to look like when we come out the other end. But to be here supporting the government and doing the jobs that need to be done to make sure that the wider population are safe and people are safe and can carry on in some semblance of a new normal. It's really good, it's really good. My wife is a paramedic for London Ambulance Service. Her workload's ramped up massively. Luckily, we've been really good when it's come to the government opening up extra nurseries for key workers. And Cameron, our son, has been really, really well looked after in the one that he's been put in. We can't thank them enough. And God bless video calls and all that kind of good <laughs> stuff because it's the only way I've been able to keep in touch with them. The military was also tasked with repatriation. Wing Commander Claire Collis, who was deployed on Op Rescript, helped thousands of people to get home from India and Pakistan, working 18-hour days and dealing with many obstacles. I had a call asking if I could go and help with the Foreign and Commonwealth Office to do some repatriation flights. And I think that's because of my background, especially with the air movements. And the Foreign and Commonwealth Office were looking for people that could help plan, I guess, a quite a big problem in getting three quarters of a million people home from all around the world. So I think they were struggling to kind of come up um, with a plan for the scale and size of the problem, with specifically with India and Pakistan, where there was problems on the ground with moving, you know, people to the airhead, from the airhead, visas, access, you know, safety restrictions, especially when the, the market for seats on aircraft had rocketed in terms of prices. So some people just couldn't afford to get home. And I mean, the emotional involvement with this as well, these poor people that were stranded, you know, not having money, not having any idea of when they were going to be able to get home to see their loved ones. There must have been such relief when you were able to get these people home. Yeah, the plan was not quite an easy one to come up with, but the political pressure and who was going to get that flight first mm. and really understanding that the scale of the problem was was the hard bit, I think. This is BFBS Team Talk. The Forces Station. Amy, what incredible and inspiring stories of our military personnel with the NHS just supporting, I mean, even delivering babies. I know. I mean, as you heard from uh, from Wayne, the day job, normally working with heavy artillery and tanks and stuff like that to delivering a baby. And I think that's just so symbolic of our armed forces as a whole. You know, it's so easy to pivot. Everybody is completely mobile and can tackle these situations and do so in such a positive fashion. Our forces families are absolutely incredible. They balance forces life, families life, work commitments and everything to boot. And that second story with Glenn and his wife with the NHS, they just seemed to embrace it and go with it. I don't know whether it's, you know, birds of a feather, if that's the situation, but we seem to have a lot of our military personnel that that have spouses that work in blue light services in other areas in the NHS. And so balancing that need to, to be operational alongside the family unit who have this huge demand put on them. We've seen it in full swing this year and it's just been so incredible for the families that have managed to juggle all of those balls. Just incredible stories of service. It is. And thank you so much for sharing those stories with us here on Team Talk. It's been amazing to hear them today. Yes. The Forces Station. Team Talk. Team Talk.
Gosh, as Charlie says, some really touching stories there from the front line. It makes you feel so proud. Thank you to everyone who has and continues to be so involved in Operation Rescript. We find ourselves again needing your help so very desperately in the wake of the UK lockdown. So now it's time for us to shine a light on some more pandemic heroes. We like to call their triumphs lockdown victories. So cast your mind back to when the UK went into its first lockdown. The one hour of exercise a day just didn't cut it and people were missing things like going out and watching live entertainment. The arts community did their best to help us with our withdrawal symptoms by heading online. We were, I would say, 80% of the way there. We had the shows lined up, the funding had been sorted, all of that sort of thing was going on. And then, of course, the news started to emerge about COVID and the implications. And so we started to plan ahead. What is the worst case scenario? Complete lockdown. That's Lieutenant Colonel Wendy Fawkes talking all about Army at the Fringe, which happens every year at Hepburn House Reserve Centre in Edinburgh. This year, though, because of obvious reasons, it was looking likely to be cancelled. However, as they say in theatre, the show must go on, and that's exactly what it did. Army at the Fringe became Army at the Virtual Fringe, and what a show it was. I was bowled over with the feedback. It was all positive. We reached a worldwide audience. It was amazing. And the audiences were bigger because people could do it from their own home. And people who don't have that ability to get up to Edinburgh in August to get to the Fringe were able to be a part of it. We had people from the Philippines, from the States, from Australia. These people were getting up at 4.30 in the morning to join our webinars. I mean, that is dedication and it was just amazing. Jordan Blackwood was the producer for this year's show, working closely with the army to facilitate the whole programme. It's a project close to his heart and although there was a small setback, he was thrilled with the outcome. Yes, there was kind of a slight kind of element of, oh, it's a shame we couldn't be there in person, but it's also been kind of nice to give us a bit of time to kind of think about how we do things differently, but also it's made people more interested in Army at the Fringe. A lot of people actually said they wished some of the workshops and things lasted longer because we only did an hour. I think initially we thought actually an hour is kind of the perfect time because you're not dragging people too far away from their day and also, you know, sitting on the other side of a screen for an hour can be quite a long time but because we had such an interesting program some people were like ah give me more give me more which is really nice you'd probably rather more than feel like you've been given too much former royal marine commando tom lee was the technical manager for army at the fringe he found his way into the arts after being medically discharged from the military as a result of injuries sustained in afghanistan he was also diagnosed with ptsd but found that performing arts made a huge difference to his life I had real difficulty with expression. I could only identify with a couple of emotions and they'd build up and all burst out at once. And the arts helped me connect with all my emotions, helped me communicate properly, helped me reintegrate into being a civilian again, a normal person. Now, although Army at the Virtual Fringe was a last minute idea to save this year's show, it may have been a blessing in disguise and could see the show transform into something even better in the years to come. It should almost be longer and there should be more things going on, but that will come with as more people learn about it and get involved themselves. And I'd love to see it grow and grow, whether it's that's online or back at Edinburgh or maybe a combination of both, a hybrid. Who knows what the future holds, but I think it's going places. It's really helped a lot of people and that's a great thing. And I think if it can continue and grow, all the better. BFBS. The Forces Station. This is Team Talk. Team Talk.
Former Royal Marine Commando Tom Lee talking to Chris Keane there all about Army at the Virtual Fringe, which was a huge success this year. And you can still see all of their online events as well by heading onto their Facebook page or their website, armyatthefringe.org. We're halfway through this second series of Team Talk, which means it's time to hear from our third Family Time guest. Here's what happened when Louise and I virtually caught up with Jill. BFBS. Team Talk. Hello and welcome back to another family time with me, Louise, the founder of the charity Little Troopers. We've been supporting the children of the British Armed Forces since 2011, but know that the last few months have been some of the toughest for kids and parents alike. Today we're speaking to a military supermom that has a challenging yet incredible story. Jill, it is so exciting to have you on Family Time. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. So, Jill, your family has a bit of a military background. Dad was a reservist. You were going to go to university, change your mind and decided to join the military, then married a military man and became a forces family. You've got two children, Jean, who's 14, and baby number two, Ned, who's now 11, not so much of a baby. Uh, What have you been doing? Where have you been? And and where have you been living? Well, as you said, I'm married to somebody else um, who's serving in the army as well, Marks with the Rifles. And we've mainly been living apart at other ends of the country. Um, Early on in my career, I was based out in Germany for a while. Went out to Iraq in 2005, which is where I met my husband. Um, spent quite a lot of time in the south of England on Salisbury Plain um, and the past six years I've been based in Aldershot but I've recently been posted to Preston. So you you were based in Aldershot um, and then 2018 came your way and you had an unfortunate diagnosis. Yeah oh so 2018 started Great. I just I came off the promotion board to WO2 a year after my husband. So it was everything was looking fantastic. And then in April 2018, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and everything just stopped. It was all put on hold. As you say, like we all have a plan, don't we, of where we're going with our military career. This kind of diagnosis came your way and it was so unexpected. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, it was a year to the day that I left the office declaring that I would be back soon and everything would be okay. Um, But actually, my recovery journey and the time that I was out of work wasn't as plain sailing as I thought. I didn't plan on the impact, the emotional impact that the diagnosis would have on me and how draining emotionally and mentally it would be undergoing the treatment for cancer. So your diagnosis is 2018. You went through the early sort of diagnosis and treatment um, and your radiotherapy. But out of that came some courses and you found out that actually there was quite a lot of support available for military personnel. Tell us a bit about those, those sort of groups and who you met and how that helped your recovery. The beauty of being classed as a wounded, injured and sick soldier is that I was then mandated to go off and undertake a couple of courses. Um, The first one that I went on was down at Tedworth House, which is the Help for Heroes Recovery Centre. I did lots and lots of things, but there was a real focus on looking at yourself and doing some goal setting to really get us thinking about how we were going to reintegrate into work or discharge and start making plans for ourselves. And somebody was telling me that the applications were open for the Invictus Games, and why didn't I go along and make an application and see if it was something that I'd be interested in to kind of find me again and refocus on who I was. So yeah, so I 
thought, why not? I'll probably not get through the application process, but I'll give it a shot. They'll probably say you've only had cancer, but it turns out everybody thinks in exactly the same way, whether they've got, whether there's sort of a triple amputee or they've got PTSD or whatever. (laughs) So let's talk about the Invictus Games. I'm going to take you back to July 2019. I was in the crowd and I watched you get a silver medal. (laughs) Tell us how that felt. Yeah, so at the UK trials, I decided that I'd quite like to do a little bit of powerlifting because it was a little bit like CrossFit. I'll have a go at indoor rowing because I'd always avoided it in the past, so I set myself a challenge. So I turned up to Sheffield completely full of self-doubt. Even when I was there, I kept thinking, I can't, I cannot walk out and do this powerlifting competition. This is absolutely ridiculous. And just for some context, Jill, how (laughs) tall are you? Five foot three. Like, and she's <laughs> tiny. So just to bring some context, this tiny little pocket rocket, like in a bodybuilding, what, like powerlifting yeah. competition. I know. And what I didn't expect was that for the, the UK trials to be covered by the BBC and for there to be so much media attention and we competed against each other with a massive crowd. As you said, Charlie, you were there. I was. And we walk, yeah, we walked out with cameras in our face and to the roar of the crowds. And I just got up that morning and I thought, put your big big girl pants on, get out there, <laughs> do what you've come to do. If you fail, you fail, at least you've given it a go. And I won the silver medal. <laughs> and I just couldn't believe it. It was amazing to see the look <laughs> on your face. I remember it so well. <laughs> I spoke to a few of the coaches there and the UK does the selection slightly different maybe from other countries it's not all about the fastest the strongest it's about how it can aid your recovery how did you go through that process um yeah so team uk is apparently sort of the envy of the invictus games when the team when the team arrives because everybody is on their own journey and as you said it's not just the high flyers it's not just the sporting billies that have always been um you know when they were serving they were always the best and the strongest and the fastest goodness knows i wouldn't have got in the team if that was the case so the games were meant to be in may 2020 obviously there's been a global pandemic i guess you were training you were so excited for the games to happen in may 2020 and then lockdown happened so how did that kind of change everything yeah so we'd been doing at least one training camp a month and as you can imagine the tempo would have been really ramping up to the games in may we were all looking for we were about to receive our kit um from our sponsor super dry um it's a really exciting time for us and then lockdown happened and we found out that the games were postponed, which meant that all training camps and everything stopped. But not just that, all the gyms in the UK stopped. And very, you know, I didn't re- we didn't really have access to any training equipment. We weren't quite sure what was going to happen, how we could carry on our training programs. Um, and it was it was actually really difficult at the time. So if they just the games have just been postponed a year, is so it? So they postponed. Tw- yeah, they postponed till May twenty twenty one. Um, so what that will look like is anybody's guess, I think. I wouldn't like to speculate. At the moment, it would, it's, it's unsure whether it's going to be virtual or whether it is actually yeah. going to go ahead. But looking ahead to yeah. that, how are you now preparing for that challenge, whether it be virtually or physically? And the team, the Invictus family, as it's well known, 
Have you been supporting each other and are you all now focusing to that achievement? Yeah, we've all been really supporting each other. We've all got lots that we're all in contact with each other quite regularly. It's It's been really good to get back into the virtual training, see the coaches again. We've got brilliant relation, relationships with our coaches and, you know, really good rapport rapport with them. So we've missed, we've missed them as much as we've missed the rest of the team. Um, how am I preparing for it? Well, I've now set up a gym in the garage, so I have no excuses not to train. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jill, you've been through so much. Your journey always massively inspires me. What is the one tip that you would give to another military family on surviving this pandemic? My one tip would be to really connect with all the people within your community as much as you can. Even with all my years military experience at the start of lockdown, I realised that I didn't necessarily know everybody on my street and I reached out and I put myself into people's lives and they put themselves in my lives and we all supported each other. Is there one special song that you could think of that would sum up your lockdown experience? Has to be We'll Meet Again because at the very start of lockdown, I organised a socially distanced VE Day street party for everybody on my street and at the end of it all when Dame Vera Lynn did the national sing-along I made every single person on my street stand outside with a flag and sing along with me now I think I look nutty as anything but <laughs> but that will probably always remind me of lockdown and just I think it brought us all together it kept those we've, we've kept those relationships and those friendships ever since we'll meet again don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Jill there sharing with us the story of her incredible road to recovery, which led her to the Invictus Games. And Dame Vera Lynn, who we sadly lost at the age of 103 back in June 2020. Those poignant words, we'll meet again, were so resonant during the first lockdown and hopefully we'll feel that sense of unity this time around too. Now, talking more about the Invictus Games, our guest this week for In The Know is David Wiseman, Director of Grants and Programmes at the Invictus Games Foundation. He was UK Armed Forces Team Captain in 2016. David was wounded in action in Afghanistan and later medically discharged from the army. This is BFBS Team Talk. The Forces Station. During my recovery, sport was absolutely instrumental. At the time, my definition of self was pretty negative and rearward facing. It was centered around being a wounded soldier. Being involved in sport meant that I had something really positive um, in the present that I was proud of and, and from which I could start to develop uh, a new sense of identity, which, which is incredibly important. The Invictus Games 2020 was due to be held in May in The Hague, but of course COVID-19 came along and plans had to be changed. It was sad news for everyone involved, but all being well, the event will go ahead in 2021. When I was gearing up to, to compete in the Invictus Games, it really was an incredible focus for me. Um, so I can only feel for all those hundreds of participants and competitors around the world and their friends and family who were really, really looking forward to competing in The Hague um, this year. They must be incredibly disappointed, but um, hopefully um, they're really looking forward to next year. 
David says the team at the Invictus Games Foundation has worked really hard to come up with new activities that can be held online, including a programme of e-sports to take part in. We've currently got a, a virtual row, rowing from uh, Sydney to The Hague, so from the last games to, to the next games. So please join in. We need, we need everyone, uh, everyone pulling on the oars for that. Open track running, uh, a running league. One thing which has proven really popular is every single Sunday on the Zwift platform uh, people can get involved in uh, in a community ride and everyone can come together and, and, and ride together all of these opportunities are, are advertised and all the links um, etc can be found through the we are invictus app it's open to everyone from around the world uh, who has a shared history of service and specifically um, with a shared history of uh, either becoming wounded, developing an injury or experiencing significant illness during that service. We've got nearly 2,000 people now on the uh, We Are Invictus app and it's, it's just building and maintaining this incredible um, global community. And they're benefiting from all sorts of opportunities which are uh, broadcast through that channel. It's not just for those that have had a previous connection to the Invictus Games. It's there for anybody who's got that shared experience. It really is sort of an incredible notice board, uh, not just about sport, but speaking opportunities, employment opportunities, opportunities uh, to volunteer or to fundraise for, for different organisations. BFBS. The Forces Station. This is Team Talk. David Wiseman from the Invictus Games Foundation. And if you want to download the app to access all those great opportunities, just go to wherever you usually find your apps and search for We Are Invictus. During the first UK-wide lockdown, many celebrities kept us company and entertained us from their own homes. Team Talk's Adam Powney recently caught up with Catherine Jenkins, who led the way with virtual concerts for adoring fans. And there's more to come by the sounds of it. We're so pleased to have you here, Catherine Jenkins, OBE on Team Talk. How was lockdown for you? <laughs> Ups and downs, you know, trying to find a new normal. You know, quite full on in our house with two young children and trying to work and homeschool and all of that kind of stuff as well. I always try and see the sort of the positive and I wanted to try and do something to help. So whilst I totally appreciate that I'll never be able to do the kind of amazing stuff that they were doing on the front line, I realised that I could sing a few songs and I could keep people company. And so I started doing weekly concerts on Facebook every Saturday night to sort of boost morale. It was 16 weeks, wasn't it? It all started because, you know, my mum is in that, um, she just slipped into the 70s bracket and they were the first people being asked to, you know, to shield. And I was thinking about people like my mum who were on their own, potentially a bit lonely and a bit scared. And, and I said to my husband, I think I'm going to do a concert on Facebook tonight. And he's like, yeah, that's a great idea. I had no expectation of how many people would come online. But we had hundreds of thousands of people watch. Little did I know, four months later, <laughs> there we were. I did not know what it was going to become, but I'm so, so thankful that I did it because I feel like it helped get me through that time. And... And I, and I hope that it helps other people as well. I do want to mention the good news you had during this whole period. Whilst it was all going on, your new album went to number one in the classical charts. How was that? Yeah, unexpected because, you know, the album was meant to come out in April and obviously we sort of pushed it back because there were way more important things to be thinking of than releasing an album when everybody was just trying to, you know, stay healthy and, 
when the album did get released eventually in July, you know, it was so special to finally be able to share the music with everyone. And you sung uh, Here's to the Heroes, didn't you? And it was originally considered a bit of a military tribute, but you yeah. repurposed it. Here's to the heroes, those few who when I recorded it, you know, in the recording studio, I was imagining all you amazing men and women who do such an incredible job and inspire me personally. And then I think in the pandemic, I was, you know, also thinking there are other people to include into this song. Christmas is coming up and it could be quite difficult, but something more magical is going to be happening from you. It's really exciting. You know, I think off the back of all of the Facebook concerts and realising that, you know, music really does bring people together and thought, I'm going to take Christmas to people. We actually filmed a full-on Christmas movie in the Royal Albert Hall. It's literally got every part of Christmas that you could imagine. I think that what I'm trying to do is, is make sure that people have a way to get a lift, to have that Christmas cheer, to have that Christmas experience. And, you know, even if you are physically separated from your loved ones, you don't have to feel alone. When I was watching a teaser of this, I spotted the RAF band in there. They're so good, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, I was so happy. It was actually one of my first ideas when I was creating the concept of the show was I really wanted to have a military band. Plus, there is also a moment where I dedicate Silent Night to all of our military men, women and families. So this is Catherine Jenkins, The Christmas Spectacular. It's in cinemas across the world from the 1st of December. You can own it for this Christmas if you go to katherinejenkins.film. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Stay safe. BFBS, the forces station. This is Team Talk. The lovely Catherine Jenkins there, probably the only person who can add some sparkle and magic to the uncertain Christmas period that lies ahead. That's it from us this week. It's been another jam-packed show. Indeed it has. We've heard from the inspiring service personnel who've been deployed to the front line of the COVID crisis for Operation Rescript. And also from the team who kept the show on the road, taking the Army Fringe online with rave reviews from audiences across the world. We've caught up with Jill Charlton and David Wiseman, who are both involved in the Invictus Games. And we enjoyed a good old chinwag with Catherine Jenkins too. Team Talk has been produced by TBI Media with support from the Armed Forces Covenant Fund Trust. We'll be back next time for more of the same. Until then, take care. Goodbye. Goodbye.